On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about patios in Hamilton. Should we be keeping them open for the winter? Will people use them in the winter? Well, those are two different questions that are tied together. We'll talk about both of them. And we're going to be talking about neutral site World Series games. Is this a good idea? We do it in football. But should we be playing World Series games, not necessarily at the home of one of the contenders? We'll talk about that too. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Uh, several months ago, I had my my first guest on this show to talk about the city's plans to open patios at local restaurants and some bars and other establishments, uh, hopefully to allow them to stay afloat this summer. Um, certainly, the restaurant industry was just hammered by COVID when you couldn't go into restaurants anymore. Yeah, they offered takeout and stuff, but it was it, it wasn't the same. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was a good idea. Let's see if we can figure this out and let's see if maybe if we can create patios and open some seats outside, maybe this will help those people thrive and even just survive as long as it didn't create other spinoff problems. And I didn't hear of any. Well, now the city is debating whether or not to extend this project into the winter. That guest that I was talking about, who we had on to talk about this some months ago, was Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr, who joins us again. Jason, thanks for doing this today. Oh, no problem. Good to be live and local with Scott Radley on CHML. And listening to Christmas music. Frosty would melt under some of these uh, Amazon heat lamps I've been researching on this uh, international online learning day. <laughs> Just prior <laughs> to uh, coming on, I was looking at the price points, anywhere from 40 to well over a thousand to put a heat light out there this winter. Yeah, it's well, first of all, before we get into the debate about this, um, I do wonder how many people will sit out there. I mean, would you and Mrs. Farr and the kids go and have dinner if it was quite nippy, even if there was a heat lamp? Well, if it's, if it's quite nippy, we'd use our discretion. But, you know, I think, you know, we've heard the argument for many years now about, uh, you know, warmer winters, uh, you know, you're not hearing it from Trump. Uh, he doesn't believe in the science, but many people do. And, and the fact remains, I mean, we haven't had as much snow. We haven't had as cold temperatures. We certainly hit those cold spells. And I would suggest that uh, no one's going to debate whether or not that would mean brisk business. I think most people would probably shy away, but there's going to be occasions. And, uh, you know, even around zero or a little below uh, with the right patio and the right heat lamp and obviously uh, the windbreakers and the, the proper clothing and, you know, the hot toddy or the comfort food. Absolutely. I, I think it'd be pretty good take up. And, and, you know, if the snow, as I said before, if the snow was gently falling on, on an otherwise nice night, I mean, it could be, it could be quite nice. Um, if, Jason, from your perspective, has the experiment, and I think it's fair to call it an experiment, has the experiment with the patios been a success this summer? Well, beyond our expectations, for sure. I heard our, our general manager, Jason Thorne, and I think it was with Bill this morning, the tall fellow that dresses like a Facebook executive. He, he, he's the one bringing this report forward on the winter idea in a couple of weeks. And I don't think it's going to be much of a debate because we're leaving it in the hand of the restaurant owners. And there are 160 out there, uh, well beyond, I think, what anybody would have expected. They're all across the city and into the rural areas as well. And um, we've heard back from 40 on a survey that we've recently put out. It's going to be out for another week, and that'll be part of what council deliberates. And so many of them, there's about 40 right now that have responded, and I can tell you I was talking to Jay. We're always spitballing 
outside the box ideas like uh, we're in a madman boardroom or something but uh, he he's really impressed with the response so far there there there's one business he spoke to on Barton Street not long ago that said they would have closed their shop if we hadn't come up with this patio idea and they're excited about the uh, the concept and they're they're in between two big buildings in a laneway a really cool patio uh, Mozoic is the name of the place in Ward 3 they they see a lot of potential for this as well. So I, I think there's going to be take up, but but so far in the survey, how's it gone? Um, a lot of them are are, are responding uh, very very favorably to to our idea. That was was of course born out of a conversation with one restaurant tour that I had, Jason Cassis, owner of the French, the Aberdeen, and the Diplomat on, on King William, where we actually have a restaurant district, Scott, as you know. And uh, evolved into a conversation that, that uh, got on the council floor before even phase two opened up and restaurants were able to serve at tables. So it, it worked out really more than, better than we, we could have expected. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jason, I think you may have already kind of got to this, but if it was successful and you say it really was, and if the restaurants really seem to like the idea, I'm I'm guessing when when they say there's a debate that's looming about this at city council I'm not quite sure I understand what there is to debate it sounds like it's pretty much a foregone conclusion or should be it, you never know it's council so you know I I can give you my first hand account from yes the ward that's seen the most significant take up and it's been extremely positive will every restaurant of the 160 that have taken us up on this uh, temporary use bylaw uh, it want to extend it through the winter? Likely not. But there are some already in my in, in our core that are all ready to go. Radius has those thousand dollar heat lamps already that that uh, we were talking about. And my understanding is they're looking to get more. Um, I'm sure others are making the investment. But you know the kinds of things we would debate what would be how successful was this? So we'll not only have in our arsenal a survey that's looking early, like it's been very, very positive for business, but we'll also have a very low rate of complaints. That was one of the things we debated initially when we came up with the, the summer-fall program here. Uh, what about, you know, you know, nearby communities who have never had to deal with audio noise before? And it has been very, very good. It hasn't been complaint-free. There's been some isolated incidents. I know of a few. I'm not going to... Uh, mention where they are they, they seem to be working well now with staff in the neighborhoods and that's important but you know if we're going to debate anything it's like do we really want this potential issue uh, from a you know noise bylaw issue uh, year round and i don't know i think when you look at how cooperative everyone's been from the patrons to the to the the restaurant owners and then you also factor in that we are still dealing with the pandemic and in all likelihood we will still be dealing with the pandemic right through until next summer, unfortunately. Um, we want to help those restaurants. That's an industry that we talked about initially many months ago when we first talked about the summer program, Scott, that's 30,000 people strong. So, you know, I, I can only think of, of good questions coming from my colleagues, like how, how, how are the fire codes affected here? And, and, and that would be prudent stuff that our building department, and I'm sure our fire staff will be able to answer. I know that you can't have outdoor fire so anybody thinking about you know getting into this program yes heat lamps are okay i think gas uh, f- uh protective fireplaces maybe i'm not sure but those are the things we'll we'll get a handle on and then i think likely on this one we'll move forward what about the 
the one thing about this that I did wonder about though, is these are set up on sidewalks and then in some cases into the street. What about snow clearing? Does it become an issue if you've got a patio set up that you cannot clear the sidewalk or clear the street now? Another good question that would be up for debate. And to be completely honest with you, I, you know, the, our, we have three kind of programs here, three approvals from council. We have the existing on street, as you just referenced, patio program, which wraps up at the end of the patio season. So fairly soon, they think it's about a month from now. We have the temporary use bylaw that permits this use of patios without having to go through an onerous planning process that takes forever and would never be able to implement in time. That ends in, I believe, the end of November, and then the overall program at the end of the year. So all would be uh, factored in, and, you know, snow clearing is obviously an issue if a car's parked there or a truck's parked there. Um, it's how you do the snow clearing and how much snow you're dealing with, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have a fulsome answer for you on that one, but it's something that, of course, we will cover. We'll, we'll also have a better handle, I think, on the take-up, how many of those on-street patios want to continue through the winter. Uh, like I mentioned before, when you got a place like, as an example, Mosaic, but others, there's some, I think, on Ottawa Street, there's some in Westdale, where you're protected by buildings on either side. You're in some laneway or alley. Uh, you b- might be more inclined to take take up the, 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 the offer if council chooses to go in that direction because you have that ability to not only protect from the elements but not worry about, you know, uh, Mr. Plow going by and leaving a mm. great big icy mess. Is there anything that we've done here? Because this is, as you've pointed out, this was entirely a COVID-spurred in, initiative to be done. This was not being done without COVID in the first place, but now that we've seen it, from your perspective, is there anything here that we look at and we should be saying, you know what, COVID or no COVID, when this thing passes, we should still be applying this and keeping it going? Well, uh, for again, I could speak to Ward 2. Um, it has been incredible. There has been complaints, but for the most part, everyone has been very, very cooperative. And, you know, there's a few things, uh, I'm sure, more than a few things that we're learning from this pandemic, how easy it is and efficient it can be working from home, as an example. Um, you know, how, how families have come together and what we've learned about each other living in close proximity or, uh, you know, as it said, the bubble uh, or our bubbles. And in this case, um, you know, we probably over many decades as a council in this and other cities have pondered it, maybe fearful to bring it on the floor, but thinking more like those older European cities that have the piazzas. And in some cases in the core, you can tell if you've watched my career over the last decade, we've gone in the direction you're talking about. We have the downtown promenade. We started the on-street patio program. We, you know, start thinking outside the box about having parties on tops, rooftops and, and, and you know, do something for Supercrawl in that capacity during the, the coronavirus. All things we didn't do before or we sort of either didn't do before or started lining up in the last two, three, four years, and, and uh, it's kind of led to this. So is it a great experiment for future, and once this pandemic is over, something we can contemplate continuing? At least in my ward, absolutely, I think it is. And, and it's, it's great that we have this amount of time, unfortunate circumstances that we have this amount of time for why we have this amount of time. But at least we have this amount of time to measure these kinds of things and learn from these kinds of things and, in the end, have an improved uh, business model for a very strong sector, which is our restaurant industry. 
Ward 2 Counselor Jason Farr, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Rick Zamperin of 900 CHML Sports and News fame, the the king of Hamilton News Radio, because he's on the radio all the time. So that would make him the king. Rick, how are you tonight? I'm fantastic. So uh, I want to get to something else in a second. But before we do that, last time you were on here, we were commenting about the fact that it came up in the conversation that nobody, at least I can't, keep track of the names of NFL stadiums anymore because they seem to change the sponsorships on about every half of a game. They, they take the <laughs> sign down and they put up a new one. I mean, I there are there are stadiums, Rick, that probably, and I mean, I won't go to this one right away, but the Buffalo Bills Stadium, which right now is called Bills Stadium, which seems amazing that in the NFL you can't find a sponsor for your stadium. But that thing, how many names has that place had? Uh, well, it's, last year was New Era Field. And New Era, it makes the ball caps. And I believe they're based in Buffalo. Uh, but they apparently couldn't come to a, a contractual agreement this year for whatever reason. But it used to be Ralph Wilson Stadium, uh, the yep. name of the former owners. And I think at one point it was Municipal Stadium. But I think that was a different venue or a different stadium. And there was another name in between there before Ralph Wilson, I believe. Um, but I'll have to think about that. One. But there's right. been a bunch there of... There might have been three I, or four. <laughs> and, their, and, yeah, and their baseball stadium down there has had five or six names yeah. in Buffalo. And then the hockey arena has changed three or four times of yeah. folks in Buffalo. I don't know how they keep track. Anyway, I'm going to test you okay. and people at home because I would get, I think zero of these just saying, so anything you do better than zero, you beat me. <laughs> All you okay. got to do is tell me what city or team, I don't care. Either one is fine. Yeah. Who plays in AT&T stadium. That's an easy one to start with. AT&T Stadium. Yeah, that's the Dallas Cowboys. That would that's be Dallas the, Cowboys. The, yeah, that's one of the newer ones. So that, that's that, an easy one. That's also, I think, is it the biggest sec, biggest or second biggest? That, that that was sort of a softball just to get you warmed up. Yeah, yeah. Bank Bank of America Stadium. Bank of America Stadium. Is that, uh, it's either Carolina or Baltimore. I'll go Carolina. Correct. Well done. Ooh, nice. Uh, Empower Field at Mile High. Well, I just gave that one away. If I had just said <laughs> yeah. Empower Field, you would would you have known it if I said Empower uh, Field? No, I don't think so. Yeah, Mile High gave it away. That's the Denver Broncos. Yeah, that that kind of did give it away. Um, let's pick a couple more here. Lincoln Financial Field. That is the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, very good. Um, Mercedes Benz Stadium. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, didn't get caught up in the trick. Well done. Yeah, the Superdome is the Saints. Yes, two Mercedes-Benz stadiums. Just to make, I thought I was going to catch you in the trick there, but no, you're way too, way too ahead of me on that one. Um, All right, no, well, few people are. You'll know this one because it's brand new. But SoFi Stadium. Yeah, that's the Chargers and Rams. And uh, if anyone watched the Sunday Nighter between the Cowboys and the Rams, what a fabulous facility that just blew me away it should be i mean it's it's something like i don't i can't remember what the number is now it's an astronomical amount of money it costs to build that place and it's enormous That's, yeah five billion dollars yeah of, of course because well, why do, you know you're playing football you need a five billion dollar playground <laughs> anyway uh yeah. one more and you may get this one 
but I'll be shocked if more than about 3% of the population could get it. TIAA Bank Field. TIAA Bank Field. Oh, that's got to be a new one. Uh, man, alive. Yeah. That's a new one on me. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a blank. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the challenge flag and hopefully maybe a listener can email in. <laughs> I've that, not even that, heard of that one. That is Jacksonville's new stadium. Oh, really? Yep. I would not uh, again. I I I would have known the Mile High one because of Mile High, and I would have known Dallas because of AT and T. It's impossible. It's impossible to keep up on these things. And and that's just football. I mean, that happens in well, we've seen it in hockey. You know, Air Canada Center a couple of years ago was Scotiabank Arena. We have. Rogers Place and Rogers Arena, the Canadian Tire Center, and Rogers Center, uh, and, and they all had yeah, they all had different names. And you you throw baseball into the mix, you throw NBA into the mix. They share a lot of facilities with the NHL, uh, and they change so often. I mean, long gone are the days of Tiger Stadium or Comiskey Park or uh, you know you name it, Yankee Stadium. You know, thankfully that's still around, and those are few and far between. But more often than not, uh, you know those names are, are changing, and I think I think that costs a little bit of the team's identity when you know sure you go does. to the ballpark and you don't know what it's called. Absolutely, it does. And the funny one was I heard someone say one time because this is how long it's been. Uh, so Fenway Park is still named after you know yeah. the, the, that's the original name, and there are a few others that have kept the name Yankee Stadium, although Great new Yankee field. Stadium. Well, that was the one I laughed because Wrigley Field was the very first one named after a product that name rights. It yeah. was the Wrigley Gum family. Yeah. And so it was named after someone, although it's stood around for a long time since. And I don't know that Wrigley sponsors anything anymore. It's just the name. And you couldn't possibly change Wrigley. Could you imagine if all of a sudden you had, I don't know, BIPD Investment Bank Park? Like it would be, uh, and I'm making up words now, but I mean, it would yeah. be stupid. It has to be Wrigley Field. It has the, to be Fenway Park. Those are really the three untouchables. And that's saying a lot because Fenway and Wrigley have been around for more than a hundred years. Yankee Stadium, though, there has been, you know, a, a couple of incarnations of that and they've kept the name. So kudos to the Yanks for doing that. Although you just could not name that any other word other than Yankee Stadium. They had there said at one time, revolt. oh yeah, oh yeah. If Yeah, if you suddenly changed it not to be Yankee Stadium, because already that team makes a bajillion dollars, whatever. Now we need to squeeze a few more bucks out? No, people would lose their minds. Yeah. At one time when they built Tim Hortons Field, am I not correct that they were saying that somewhere around or involved with the field, they were going to incorporate the name Ira Wynn to keep it alive? And, and, and I maybe it is, but... Is it? Uh, I don't know if it is officially. I know officially it's Tim Hortons Field, but I don't think it's, you know, Ivor Wynn grounds at Tim Hortons Field. It's not like it's, uh, what's the one in Edmonton? Um, Commonwealth Field at Brick Stadium or whatever the case is. Yep. It has something to do with Commonwealth and, and the Brick. Uh, and there's another facility or um uh, the, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Balt- Oriole Park at Camden Yards, yes. is the official name. Um, yeah, but I don't know if Ira Wynn is actually incorporated in the official name at Tim Hortons Field. It was going to at some point be in there somehow. And, and I th- now that I were talking about it, I think, I think there was going to be, remember they took the, um, 
there used to be the the field, the um, Brian Timmis Stadium. Brian Timmis, and that yeah. name was going to be made to the new practice field if that thing ever gets built somewhere, which was up further north. Mm-hmm. Brian Timmis was supposed to stick around, but I, I was positive that Ivor Wynn was supposed to be incorporated, and yet I I I have no recollection of that happening. So it should, though. I mean, it, it absolutely should. They should find a way because. They named that stadium after Ivor Wynn. I don't think that just because they changed the stadium that you should then suddenly lose that honor and be forgotten. But that's just me. Yeah, no, it's pretty sad when, you know, some of the builders of this community from a sports perspective and, and even beyond that, um, you know, get forgotten because the corporate entities and, and you know, I'm not flagging those, but uh, yeah, those historic legacy names should never be erased from our memory banks. You could have even changed one of the street names. I don't know if everybody would have yeah. been thrilled about it, but even one of the ones around it just to make it Ivor Wynn Street, Ivor Wynn Road, and then you've solved your problem in a sense. Yeah. But Well, they did it anyway. with Bernie Filoni Way. I mean, no one calls it Bernie Filoni Way, but the sign is there. The The acknowledgement has been made. I think, yeah, they they should do that with Ivor Wynn. Well, and, and Pat Quinn Way is still Glenny, yeah. Glenny Avenue, yeah. but it's it's a sort of semi-official. Well, it's officially, but no one, again, I don't, if you wrote a letter and sent it to 15 Pat Quinn Street, I don't know if it gets there. You got to send it to Gleniev, but it's, yeah. it's still it's. Uh, Rick, we got a few minutes here. The Major League Baseball and their players union came to an agreement, which is a miracle into itself. I mean, they never agree <laughs> on anything. It is, yeah. But they have decided that they've figured out how they're going to do the bubble for the playoffs, and a couple things out of this story that I find really interesting. I want to talk to you about the World Series situation in a second, but first, the. The one team that and city right now in baseball that pretty much everyone else in baseball hates, who thinks they got away with cheating their way to a World Series, who thinks they got away with no punishment for doing that, looks like it's going to be one of the cities that is awarded one of the bubbles to bring people into. Like, can baseball possibly do anything else to drive the rest of baseball crazy by keeping rewarding Houston with stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure where where their headspace was at because if they were looking for an indoor and outdoor facility that they could use, there's you know uh, numerous ones that they could have gone with. You know, Arizona, Seattle. Uh, you know, p- pick a number of MLB stadiums that are both indoor and outdoor because of their retractable roofs, and they could have picked any of those. Why Houston continues to be at the top of the list is beyond me. And you know, even when you know, you look at both the ALCS and the World Series, NLCS and the World Series uh, uh, homes or host cities, they don't have retractable roofs. They're in great communities where the weather is awesome in Texas and, and Southern California. But still, yeah, Houston was a head-scratcher for me. I thought they would have gone with uh, another route just to not publicly penalize the Astros, but... But know, not publicly it, it, reward looking, them either. Yeah, and looking at it now, you know, the optics are really bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. It's It's like... Baseball is saying, I know all of you hate Houston now, and I know you think we didn't treat them well. Well, let me show you. We're really <laughs> going to give them a treat now and, and and stick it to you because now they could potentially have home field advantage. Yeah, they could. Uh, the other aspect that you can look at is, and this would be really sideways, is, you know, hey, Houston fans, you have to watch, you know, the Yankees and, um, I don't know, Minnesota play you know, one of the ALDS games or one of the NLDS games in uh, in Houston. So I, I don't know. It, it really doesn't make any sense to me because Houston would be playing in that game. Um, 
But at the end of the day, they're still getting rewarded as a franchise to host, you know, one of these key marquee playoff matchups that are going to be on TV and millions of people are going to watch. And even if it's not the franchise, the city, yeah, I just yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay, so the the World Series, this is interesting. I mean, it's an it's out of necessity rather than out of a some great plan, but they are doing it like the NHL, like the NBA, where they're having a bubble, and it's going to be likely a neutral site thing unless Texas figures it out all of a sudden in a miraculous way and gets into the World Series. Uh, it, the World Series is going to be played in Texas, no matter at. at, at the Ranger stadium, no matter who's in it. And I got thinking, and I know you were thinking about this earlier today as well. The NFL does this, the CFL does this with their championships. What about the idea of having the world series as a neutral site preordained location every year? What about that thought? Well, I know it's certainly out of necessity this year because of COVID and I know they want come playoff time to have families with, you know, the players. So, you know, it's a good thought and hopefully it works. Um, but having a neutral site in baseball or hockey or even basketball, it works perfectly in the NFL. It works perfectly in the CFL. And I think it works perfectly in those two leagues because, you know, come Super Bowl time and come Grey Cup time, uh, you know, weather is a factor. And not every stadium is either retractable or a dome stadium. So, if you had a neutral site game in Buffalo for the Super Bowl, you know, now we're talking early February, that's not going to be a pleasant experience unless Buffalo, you know, suddenly builds a retractable roof, AKA just like Minnesota has. And, you know, they're, they're going to be hosting, you know, a Super Bowl. Uh, in, in baseball, I don't know if it would work because now you're talking about a potentially seven game series. And let's just say for, you know, argument's sake, it's the Blue Jays versus the Dodgers in the World Series, but the neutral site World Series best of seven is going to be in uh, Atlanta. Uh, Now you're really, I think, penalizing fans in those two cities, both L.A. and Toronto, for not, you know, experiencing a World Series matchup in their city. They could do so by hosting a World Series game, but it's not the same when your team is not in it. So, yeah, I don't think MLB or the NHL or the NBA are any closer to going to this neutral site route. It would be interesting to see it, you know, over a five or ten year span to see how it uh, uh, develops. But from a fan perspective, especially of the two teams that are in the final, you kind of lose something. I was at a World Series game in each of the two years that the Jays won. We were at the game in the last row, just below the um, hotel windows when Devon White made the catch against the fence and got the triple play that wasn't, I couldn't even see him catch the ball. We just saw the <laughs> fence rattle. Yeah. And we were at the game that um, uh, Robbie Alomar got, um, I think he got caught stealing third to end the game in the other one to Philadelphia. Um, anyway, it, it, it was, other than the game that I was at with the Bautista home run, the most electric, amazing environment. And that's gone if you do neutral site games. Yeah. That's gone. It, you all that buzz and that unbelievable energy and electricity that's in the place. Not to use catchphrases, but if you decide to have a neutral site baseball World Series, uh, I you could do a lot of other stuff around the game, festivals and everything else. But the games itself, I think it would be. Yeah, you know, it works for the All Star Game. It's it's one game. It's an event. You know, you have the home run derby and. You know, the skills challenge and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, for a best of seven, especially, 
that'd be hard to swallow, especially after, you know, the ALCS and the NLCS are in their respective, you know, stadiums of the, of the four combatants. And there's, you know, yeah, a lot of buzz, a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, great, you know, TV images and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you'd, you'd lose a lot of that punch going to, you know, a neutral site World Series. We only have a few seconds left here, but see, the, the CFL was going to go the opposite way this year because it was not going to be a preordained site for the Grey Cup. It was going to be whoever had the best record. And you know what? With the Super Bowl and the Grey Cup, I would love it if they'd go that way a lot more than baseball going to a neutral site thing. I'd love to see the Grey Cup every year in the home of the team that had the best record. Man, we would have watched like 9,000 Super Bowls in a row in New England. That would have been sad. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you know what? They earned it. And, and they weren't always the top team when you came out of the, into the playoffs. There were all, there were teams at times that had finished ahead of them. I, I just think the, the, what you bring to the environment when you can have a home team, a legitimate home team is it's something you that it, there's no value you can put on it. It just, it brings that much extra to the experience. Yeah. Anyway. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, let's hope that nobody in baseball gets any stupid ideas out of this one because <laughs> heaven knows baseball finds some stupid things to do at times. Hopefully this is not one of them. Rick Zamper, appreciate you stepping in today. Thanks for taking some time. You got it. Anytime. Uh, that is Rick Zamper, knower of almost all football stadiums, which, uh, Hands up anyone who knew as many as Rick did. My hand is down, down, down. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.